You'll find our sermon text for this morning from 1 Peter chapter 3 on page 8 in your worship folders. It'll also be up on the screen. There's also space if you'd like on page 9. You can fill in the blanks with a couple of our key points, our takeaways from our message today. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, who sent our Savior, Jesus Christ, to give his life and die and rise again so that we might have living hope in him. Dear Christian friends, it's a blessing to be here today, right? Not only because you get to smell bacon all morning, but because you get to to step out of the the chaos and the noise of of the world all around us, and you get to come here to be re-centered on your foundation, on Jesus. On top of that, you get to gather with a bunch of people who, who genuinely care about you. And, and hopefully, you care about them as well. And the reason I bring that up is because that's something that is becoming increasingly rare. Mother Teresa once said this, the greatest disease in the world today, in the West today, is not TB or leprosy. It's being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. She then pointed to the real source of that love that is God. And that's why we're here, right? God. God who is love. God who loves us unconditionally. God who loves us more and more deeply than we can ever understand. And and it's God who then wants us to live and to make known, to share that love that he has given to us, to put it on display in our hearts and in our lives, to one another and to the world around us. Listen to how Peter says that in these verses from 1 Peter chapter 3. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil." Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. We'll pause right there for just a moment. As we read these verses, you might think that Peter wrote these words to a world that doesn't understand the, the level of, of conflict and, and anger and opinions and division that, 
that really mark our world today. But understand that Peter originally wrote these words at the height of the Roman persecution of Christians. And he wrote them to the very Christians who were being persecuted. The Romans didn't have a cancel culture. The Romans made killing and torturing Christians in horrific ways into a sport which makes these words then seem just incredible, that, that Peter would say such a thing, and not just incredible, but incredibly difficult. So let's start with a place that's hopefully easier. Right here. Surrounded by, by your fellow Christians, right? So God gives us some specific instructions. He says, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and humble. So when we're gathered here, hopefully we can check our opinions at the door. That we can, we can let our guard down a little bit. That we can be vulnerable with God and even with one another. So that we can, we can deal with real hurts and sins. That we can find the, the peace and the hope that we long for in the forgiveness, the need that we have in the forgiveness of Jesus, our Savior. So we listen to one another. We celebrate with one another. We hurt for one another. We help one another. We forgive one another. But God doesn't want us to just enjoy that here And then push pause and go out for six and a half more days until we come back to enjoy it again. God wants you to take this same love out into the world. Because the people that you come into contact with at work, at school, uh, friends, neighbors, those aren't by accident. Those are the people that God has put and brought into your life, and He wants them to show, He wants you to show them that same kind of love, which is not easy. It's usually very uncomfortable, difficult, even even painful at times, which is why God wants you to be prepared to do it. See, God wants us to be prepared to show authentic love. And that's a key word, right? Because it's different than probably a lot of what we see and maybe even what we are tempted to do. Take a look at this quote from Martin Luther. He says, of course, there are many who speak good words and say, good morning to their neighbors. But in their hearts, they think, may the devil take you. I hope you don't think those exact words. They're maybe a little dated, but but I think you know what he's getting at, right? That he doesn't want us to to put on a smiling face for your neighbors, but his really gritted teeth, and you're thinking just terrible thoughts about them. No, God wants, wants you to be genuinely compassionate genuinely real with them 
genuinely kind, genuinely humble, which is really, really hard. In fact, there's actually only one way to do it. And it's with the opening words of our next verse, verse 15. It says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Here's why that's so important. Because naturally, not one single person does it. Not even Christians. By nature, we all revere ourselves. We put ourselves up on that throne in our hearts. We set ourselves up as Lord in our own hearts. I do what I want. You do you. That's the way we talk today, right? We hear that all around us. And, and so it, it just is a, a normal way of thinking, unfortunately. Because it comes very easily for us to think that it's okay for me to put my wants and my desires ahead of everything and everyone else, even God. And that means that on our own, showing compassion, being merciful, being kind, especially to someone that is, who thinks differently, whose values are different, it, it's just not natural. It's not normal. We would never do that because we want what we want far more than we want what they want. But as Christians, that sinful heart was crucified with Jesus. It died with him, and therefore, no matter what, it does not rule you or me. Because Jesus now lives in our hearts by faith. Which brings us to our first takeaway this morning. It's that God has prepared me to show authentic love to the people around me because Jesus lives in me. It doesn't mean you won't be tempted. Oh no, you will. You will be tempted constantly. But understand that that temptation, that sin that is tempting you has no control over you anymore. Because Jesus lives in you. And so when Jesus is the Lord of your heart, well then his compassion, his kindness, his mercy, his humility, that's what flows out of your heart and out of your lives. And when we live that authentic Christian life, not just saying one thing here at church and, and something else at work or with our friends, well, you need to be prepared for something else. Because the people in your life will notice. And, and sooner or later, they will want to know. Sooner or later, they will ask you. It, it may be right away, it may take weeks, even years, but but at some point, you will have an opportunity to share the reason for this hope-filled life that you have in a very and increasingly hopeless world. And when the opportunity comes, God says he wants you to be prepared to give an answer. Take a look beginning at verse seven, or 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Pause right there. So Peter goes back to where this letter all started, to the living hope that you have in Jesus. And he says God wants us to not only be willing, but also prepared to share that living hope. But here's the thing about being prepared. It really doesn't happen by accident, and it doesn't happen in a vacuum. I mean, think of how many shots that NBA player has put up over the course of his life before he ever steps foot on the court as a rookie. Think of how many swings that pro golfer has taken in order to get where he is then and there. Think of how many eggs that baker has cracked. Think of how many vegetables that chef has chopped to, be, to get to that proficiency where they can go... Like, I marvel at that. You know how they got there? It didn't just happen. They weren't born with that skill, and it didn't happen in the last 30 minutes. It took time. It took effort. So what does that mean for you and me to be prepared to share our hope? Do you have to stand and look in the mirror and talk about Jesus to yourself and practice? Not really. A far better way and maybe the most important thing, is to continue to be here. To continue to be fed and filled up with God's goodness and his love in his word and his sacrament. And then to, to continue listening and studying and growing, right? Participating in, in Bible study, in a, in a life group, a small group, and, and not just sitting there, but but participating, but talking. Talking about your faith, talking about what God says, because to get used to talking about Jesus, to do it in a place where it's safe, because you're surrounded by other people who believe in Jesus as their Savior. Here's our, our second takeaway today. It's that I prepare to tell others about my hope by talking about God with others. So talk to your spouse, your kids, your parents. When you read the Bible, don't just put it away and say, okay, on to the next thing. But spend time discussing it. On the way home or at dinner tonight or, or this week, talk about what you took away from, from church today what you heard in the sermon, what you heard in the scripture readings, what hymn really stuck out to you. Because someone's going to ask you why you have the hope that you have, what it is that gives you the peace and the hope-filled life, and God wants you to be prepared to give them an answer. Peter reminds us, though, that we need to do that, to share our hope with gentleness and respect. And he does that because you probably know this, but people don't always ask you about the hope you have in ways that are gentle or respectful. 
right? When they're asking you about your life and they're not doing it in a way that is kind or caring. When they're, they're laughing at you or mocking you or ridiculing you for, for going to church, for believing that. And then what do you do? Do you snap back? Do you get mad and, and yell? Do you drop them with an epic burn? Do you just ignore them and walk away? Because God says he wants you to be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you about the hope that you have. Whether they're being sincere or whether they are ridiculing you. I'll be honest. This, all of this that God says he, he wants us to be prepared for, to show authentic Love, true Christian love, to be prepared to give this, this answer, the reason for the hope that we have. I don't know about you, but it, it feels like it's one step forward and like two or three or four or five steps backwards. More often than not, right? So don't leave here with the most important part. Without the most important part, excuse me. It's the part that you don't have to do anything to prepare for. It's the part that God has prepared for you. Take a look at verse, the last verses of our text, beginning at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So we know that far too often we don't show authentic love to others. If we show anything that's authentic, well, it's authentic sin. It's authentic snide comments, authentic gossip behind their backs, authentic all kinds of things, but not, not love. And instead of kicking us to the curb, you hear what God did, right? Christ suffered once for all, for sin. Who? The righteous for the unrighteous. And Why? To bring you to God. Jesus suffered to pay for your sins. All of them. He, the perfect and righteous one, suffered and died, gave his life for a bunch of broken and hurting people. To take away all of the brokenness of our lives. To take away all of the, the unloving thoughts and the, the angry words he gave his life so that you would know God and his love forever. Which brings us to our last takeaway today. 
that God has prepared forgiveness and heaven for me because of Jesus. And God wants you to know how important this is. It's why he talks about what Jesus did, right? He, he suffered. But then he also talks about what, come, what came next. And it's something that we, we say often. I bet you've said it thousands of times in your life, but maybe never, never made the connection. It's one of the most misunderstood things in all of Christianity. Because he says, not only did Jesus suffer and die, and then he went and preached. Did you hear where he preached? To the spirits in prison. See, you and I, this is what we, what we mean, what we're talking about when we confess in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell. That descent into hell, it was not a part of the payment for sin. No, on the cross, what did Jesus say? It is finished, it is completed. Jesus descended into hell to go and preach to them, to go and preach a message of his victory. That he had conquered sin and the devil, just like God had promised. That his victory was now complete. Peter then goes from that victory to that deliverance by God to the next one, to Noah and the flood. Right? Genesis 3 is the fall into sin. Genesis 4 is Cain and Abel. Genesis 6, do you know what God says? That the wickedness had become so rampant on the earth that the human heart, every thought of the human heart was only evil all the time. That's how much sin thoroughly corrupts people. But God had made a promise. A promise that he was going to send a savior. So God commanded Noah to do something that seemed odd at best. He had Noah go and build a giant boat in an area that had no water. I mean, think about what that would be like in today's terms, right? To go out on the other side of 24 where there is just hundreds and hundreds of miles of nothing but plains and prairie. And to build an aircraft carrier there. I mean, even after the last few days of rain that have flooded basements and, and like running water everywhere, you go out east and there's nothing. Not standing anyway. Can you imagine building that kind of a a giant floating vessel in an area with no water? But that's what Noah did. For 120 years, it took him day after day after day, measuring, cutting, pounding, And can you imagine what it must have been like for day after day, 365 days times 120 years, hearing Bob the neighbor or Betsy from up the street walking by, hey Noah, what you doing? And after a few weeks, a few months, a few years, they stop asking, And they just talk about him. Can you believe that guy? Why is he doing this? And then they start laughing at him and ridiculing him. And through it all, you know what Noah did? What God told him to. 
He built the ark. And as he built the ark, he never missed the opportunity, right? Hebrews 11 talks about how he was a preacher of righteousness. He never shied away from the opportunity to point people to the hope that he had, to the promise God had made to turn from their sin and trust in him. But they refused. And so God sent the flood, and it destroyed every living creature except those that were in the ark. And did you hear what God said? He said that they, Noah and his family, were saved through water. Right? God kept the promise of the Savior alive, sparing those eight people, delivering them from the temptation around them. And then did you hear what he said? He makes a connection now from Jesus and this picture of of Noah and the flood, and now he connects it to you personally. And he says, this picture of Noah and his family being saved is a picture of you and your baptism. Because God says very clearly that in your baptism, God saved you. It wasn't something you did for God or something you did for other people or you did for yourself. This was totally a God-for-you thing. This was an incredible gift from a gracious God. Not washing away some dirt from your body, but a spiritual washing to cleanse your soul. In your baptism, God gave you a pledge, a legal contract And that pledge was that you have a clean and clear conscience before him forever. So even when the devil attacks you and says, you know what you did, do you know what God says? Because of Jesus, in your baptism, that was all washed away and that is no more. When the devil attacks you and accuses you, you get to stand before, before God and say, forgive me, and he says, it's done and it's gone. Your baptism makes what Jesus did on the cross, his death and his resurrection, yours, assuredly, individually. Because the power for baptism to save you and to make you God's child, to make you righteous and perfect and holy to stand before him, It comes from what Jesus did, his death and his resurrection, right? Because his resurrection, it proved to the whole world that he had won, that he had conquered sin and destroyed the power of death. He has won. And so his resurrection, it changed the spiritual landscape of your life forever. It made your baptism more than just mere water. It made it a spiritual birth so that God sees you as perfect and holy before him forever. And that means that you have living hope. And God wants that living hope to so fill up your heart because Jesus lives in there as king, as Lord, so that you are always ready. No matter what the circumstances You are prepared to share, to give an answer for the hope that you have and to show that authentic Christian love and compassion to anyone and everyone because you are a child of God 
perfect and holy in his sight. Amen.